destruction. The truth is, on this trail called life, all of us are following someone's directions. None of us are really blazing our own trail. We all follow a path that has been laid out for us by someone claiming to know the way. The question is, whose directions are you following? What path are you on? That's a great question this morning as we enter number three of our series in Not a Fan. Today, the message is called Choosing Intimacy. And we're trying to make a differentiation. We've been drawing a line in the sand the way Jesus did many times to help folks see the difference between what it means to merely be a fan of Jesus, to look at a distance and know some things about him, the difference between that and what we call being a fan and then the true relationship that Jesus is looking for with all of us, and that is to be a follower of him, someone who comes alongside him and has a living, growing relationship with him. This morning, I want to welcome you on behalf of our leadership team here at Victory. Welcome back to all of our regulars, and if you're a guest today, thank you so much for being with us. My name is Michael, and it's my pleasure today to bring to you this third installment in our series called Not a Fan. We're looking to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It's a little bit lengthy. Normally, I don't do one this long, but it's going to take a couple of minutes, and I'd really like you to zero in with me and hear a story about a couple of different people that were on entirely different paths. This is what you saw in the little short vignette just a moment ago in terms of people taking different paths. And all of us are following someone's directions. So this morning, the story is found in Luke chapter 7, and it's verses 36 through 50. About 15 verses there. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, Simon. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, he says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the amazing realization that there is nothing that we have done that is so horrible. There's no depth to which we have fallen that is so deep that your reach cannot touch us. Jesus, thank you that you came to this earth and you lived an amazingly perfect, sinless life. And you chose not to reach to us from the top down, but you, to- you chose to stoop very low and get up underneath every need of every broken person in humanity. Thank you that you took upon yourself the sins of the world, became the Lamb of God. Thank you that you bore the iniquity of us all. Jesus, I just acknowledge before you and before these people that I can't do anything apart from you. Get in the middle of my thoughts. Speak through my voice. Penetrate the shell that every one of us have erected around our lives, the places that we're fearful for others to know about. Jesus, show what it means to love and to be intimate with each person in this room this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Two very different people on two extremely different paths. One man is well-respected in the community. He is a Pharisee, so he has already achieved a certain amount of, may we say, fame in the Hebrew culture. He has been under a rabbi. He is a Talmud, as we talked about last week. He is one who has followed, has been a disciple. He's been a student of a famous teacher. He's part of the, the famous group of uh, the sort of Jewish denomination that we would call Pharisees. And they're very ardent. They're very passionate about their walk with God and very legalistic at the same time. Simon is one of the guys who really wants to stay in touch. He attends the conferences. He subscribes to the latest blogs. He reads the books just as they're released. He's in touch with basically what says the Lord through all of the various respected authorities throughout Israel. And um, he's keeping up with all the videos that go viral on YouTube. He's doing everything that he knows how to do to be able to stay in tune and stay in touch with the people that he's called to be a minister to. He is a Pharisee. He is someone who is looked up to. He lives in a nice house. He's part of a family that has some wherewithal. And he recognizes that Jesus has got this thing going on. There's a lot of folks that are interested in what Jesus is saying. And And he's seen the crowds. He's heard the reports. The miracles have been noised abroad. So Simon is really interested in having an audience with this fellow. Matter of fact, he gets his attention and invites him to his house. And when Simon invites Jesus to his house, he just sort of forgets himself because there are certain things that Hebrews do that are just basically hospitality, that are expected. They're the protocol of that culture. People don't travel by any kind of mechanical device, their travel, their transportation is their feet, 
They're walking in sandals. They're traveling down dirty, sometimes muddy roads. And so when they come to a house, it is the expectation that the owner of that house will himself provide water and possibly a servant to wash the feet of the travelers when they come in. Something happened, though. Simon forgot what was expected. And the custom was to greet the guest with a kiss on the cheek or at least on the hand. Jesus didn't receive any of those things. There was no water for his feet. There was no kiss. There was no welcome in that sense of a hospitality kiss for his cheek or for his hand. It was also a custom in the day for the owner of the home to provide an inexpensive oil of some kind for the guests to anoint their head. It was kind of like a refreshing, you know, we go to, the, go to Walmart and buy our Axe body spray or whatever. And so it's just kind of a little freshen up, you know, to, to, to push your hair back with some fresh oil. So that's the custom in the Jewish tradition. So there's no water for his feet, no kiss for his face or hands, and there's no oil for his head. And Jesus notices that. And into this scenario, he's sitting at table reclining with a number of well-to-do people in the community, and they're all interested, asking questions, and they're, they're posing questions for him. And Jesus, the way he always does, is able to amaze things, amaze people with the level of authority that he speaks because it's, it's more than just head knowledge. It's something that's moving out of the authority of God. And they haven't yet been able to put their finger on it and identify it as such. But they know that there's something different. Into this scenario where all of these important people who've been invited into Simon's home, and in the middle of this is Jesus talking about this new thing he's calling the gospel, traipses this woman of ill repute. She's a prostitute. And she comes in the door weeping, and she comes up behind Jesus, who's reclining at the table, and behind his feet, she begins to weep over his feet, and she notices that his feet are dirty, that they have mud on them, and she is weeping so profusely, and the volume of tears is rolling off her cheeks in such a way that she happens to notice at that moment that her tears were literally washing away the grunge, the grime from the day of Jesus' trip. And she sees this happen. I really don't believe she planned this. I think in that moment that she saw it was happening and there were hushed, strange looks. People were giving each other the eye across the room because they knew the reputation this woman had. They're wondering how Jesus is going to handle it. What's he going to do? I mean, this is just one of those extremely uncomfortable moments. It is awkward with a capital A. And everybody's watching to see what Jesus is going to do. And she continues to weep and Little tears, little rivulets are flowing down off of her cheeks and onto his feet, and it's washing the dirt away. And she, in an unplanned moment, undoes her hair, and she begins to take her hair and wipe his wet, tear-dripped feet with her hair. And in that moment, she pulls out a, a little flask of ointment, a, a very expensive a very expensive little flask of ointment, and she breaks it open, and she starts to anoint the feet of Jesus, and she rubs his feet as she continues to weep and to cry. And Simon is over there as the host of this home having these thoughts, and he doesn't know it, but Jesus has the ability to know what he's thinking. And in that moment, Jesus asks Simon the question, Simon, if there were a money lender, and one owed a great amount, and one owed a little, and the moneylender cancels the debt. Which one of those debtors is going to love the lender more? And Simon answers correctly. Jesus said, rightly so. Yes, the one who is forgiven much loves much. 
So stop in that moment, freeze that moment with me just for a moment as we move to a different way. I'm, I'm going to do the best I can today to kind of show you some different ideas about this whole process of intimacy, this idea of what it means to, to touch someone on that kind of an intimate level. I don't know if you know this, but when babies are born into the world, they cry a lot. And I remember when our first one, he's here today. I'm so glad to have Drew in service with us today and came down from Jonesboro. And I remember when he was born, I was so proud of this eight pound plus 21 inch bouncing baby boy. He's healthy and I'm just so excited. And I'm there with Dawn when, when the baby is delivered and, and we bring Drew home and we're just, we're just so thrilled. And I'm trying to do the very best I can to learn, go through the process of how to be a good dad. And so I'm going to be involved. I'm just committed. I'm going to be dedicated to my children. I'm going to be a very proactive, present in my life of my children kind of parent. I'm just determined to do that. And and he's crying. And so I'm figuring out what am I supposed to do? Well, am I going to pick him up? And okay, I'm going to give him a hug. And he's still crying. And, and, And well, what does this mean? And so I try to stuff a bottle in his mouth and the mouth gets wider and the milk rolls out. And he's still crying, and and so I'm trying to change a diaper, and and and, and I just want you to know that my, my my record was 38 seconds flat. Now only guys do that kind of stuff, you know. We're we got the stopwatch, and we're timing ourselves how fast we can get that thing off and get it clean, and then put the new one back on, and and uh, so I'm I'm doing the typical guy stuff, and I just can't figure it out. I mean, it's a week or two, it's a month, it's a few months, and it just amazes me how dawn. She just knows. I, I don't understand it. I, 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 she, she can walk in the room and she would just say, oh, he needs, he's tired, honey. He needs a nap. And I'm going, well, put him down. Oh, please help me here. So she gets him down for a nap. And sure enough, that's exactly what he needed. And she comes in and he's crying again. And, oh, honey, he needs his diaper changed and he wants his papa to change it for him. And she does this with both of our kids. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand how she could hear Abby cry and she would go, honey, she wants a bottle. Or, honey, she needs her diaper changed and she wants her papa to change her diaper. And I'm figured out by now after a little bit of experience that, you know, I, I don't really think she's discerning those pitches in those cries. There's something that's so amazingly intimate between a mother and a child. It's just almost the most intimate relationship that we can describe and, and, and Dawn is able to hear those cries, and, and she says, Abby wants you to change her diaper. She's, she needs a diaper change, and she wants her papa to do it. And I'm thinking, okay, I just don't know if I really believe that that's all that cry is saying, that her mom is the only one who can interpret those tongues. But I'm certainly not going to argue with the baby whisperer because Dawn is the baby whisperer. When nobody else can get a baby to calm down, Dawn is just some motherly... It's a scent or something she gives off. I don't know what it is. It's just babies love dawn. And, and maybe, maybe let me just change it a little bit. Let's, let's say we're in a room and there's a, there's a few couples that are getting together and you're having dinner and somebody's got a new baby and they bring the new baby with them and the mother happens to be out of the room and the baby starts crying and everybody takes a shot at it. We're just passing this little pup around like a hot potato trying to calm these cries down. And nobody does what needs to happen. The baby seems to almost get more agitated and the cries seem to wind up into a higher octave. 
until mom comes from the back of the house and she speaks in the presence of the baby's hearing. And when the baby hears the mama's voice, it's almost like something changes in the room. It's like somebody kicked on the air conditioning in a hot room or somebody lit a fireplace in a room with a chill. It just all of a sudden warms up. And the baby calms when he hears the voice of the mother. Who can explain that? How, How does that work? There's just some kind of a bond that, that as soon as the baby's born, it's like the mother has got this telepathic kind of a link. I, I don't understand it. And dads, we're just dumb, okay? And, and you know, and so, so mom says, hey, she needs, a, she needs a diaper change. He needs a bottle. She needs a nap, whatever. And you just learn to go, okay, baby, I trust you. You, you, you know all these 4,000 different cries that the baby has. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Ladies are amazing. It's, it's a phenomenal relationship that demonstrates a, a, a kind of intimacy that I don't even know how to explain. To be known on that level and to know between a mother and a child. I, I, I believe that this is a kind of a picture. This is an intimate relationship that talks about knowing and being known. And as much as I could try my best to tell you, I, I can define the word intimacy. I can show you the etymological origin of it. But until you've experienced that as a parent... Until you've seen that kind of a connection that happens. I didn't have the same kind of moment with the children that Dawn did, but I always had a moment with them when I would sing because I'm, I'm, I'm musical and I just have always sung over my children and spoken blessing over them. Both of them would hold them when they were little bitty and look into their eyes and sing songs of Zion. I remember just looking in both of their eyes and, and singing to them, and they would just get real wide. And Dawn said it was because I had bad breath is why their eyes were so wide. But there's a connection there. And I really believe that no matter how I describe that, at the end of it, all you know is about it. You don't know it. You don't have the experience. You haven't touched that level of intimacy, the bond or the sharing or the mingling together of what happens in that. This morning, my first point is this, and that is that God knows you intimately. Say that with me. God knows you intimately. Say it one more time. God knows you intimately. There is a word that is used in the Old Testament from the book of Genesis forward. In in the very first book of the Bible, the seed plot of the Bible, God uses this word to describe intimacy and it's the word yada. It's the Hebrew word yada. It means to know on an intimate level. And it, it, it's the idea not just of the omniscience of God, of knowing everything about you, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a word that not only describes the relationship that which God has with us in knowing everything about us, but it's a word that also is characteristic. And let me put it in context for you. It it describes the relationship between a husband and wife. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, in the King James, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve, yada, knew. Adam yada, his wife Eve, and she conceived and brought forth a son. Now, I'm not going to be crass in any kind of way. I don't want to make you blush. But this is the context of the beauty of of knowing another person on the level of sexual intimacy is the same Hebrew word that God uses. He describes the relationship between Adam and Eve, and then Seth is born. 
Uh, NIV makes it a little plainer. It says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she conceived and brought forth a son. Uh, the message says, Adam slept with his wife Eve. It just uh, Different translations bring it out even a little bit more. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Sometimes conversations like this, when we start talking about any kind of intimacy at all, it has a little bit of an awkwardness to it. And so I want to move beyond that and tell you that not just in a sexual sense is this word powerful, but in a sanctified sense of a relationship between God and creation. He says he knows us on this kind of a level, on a level of intimacy. Uh, Literally, one of the Hebrew commentators says it this way, that it's best described as the idea of the mingling of souls. And so it's a sharing. It is a a bond that is communicated. God knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. Dawn and I were at dinner a few years ago on one of our Friday night dates. We try to do that very regularly. We've been married 27 years now, and I'm thankful for just an amazing woman who loves me and and has just stuck stuck it out through thick and thin, and our love is stronger. It's more powerful, more real than it's ever been before. We were sitting in a restaurant together, and uh, we always try to sit in such a way so that I put my focus and attention on her because I'm a little bit ADD and I can be distracted. If there are too many TVs, then it's really not a date for Dawn. And so I'm trying my best to, you know, really make sure that I'm focusing and we're, we're having quality time. And at this particular evening, we were at a restaurant and I had this contrast on both sides. And I'm sitting with Dawn and we're talking and we, we have this time together where on a weekly basis we sit down and talk about what's going on in our lives and our relationship with our children. We try to leave the church out of it because so much of every day today is about the church. And so it's really supposed to be time that's just for her and for me. And we're, we're sharing that time together and we're telling funny things that have happened and, and just laughing and enjoying ourselves. And sometimes, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to face this struggle? So it's, it's very practical Michael and Dawn time. And during this evening, I'm seeing over here just to my right, just behind Dawn, is a young couple that probably either they're newlyweds or maybe they're not even married yet, but they are so into each other. I mean, it's just like almost distractive because they're all over each other, they're laughing and they're giggling. It's just almost as a little bit aggravating because they're just having such a good time. And it's just over the top a little bit, and you can just tell that he's telling funny things and she's laughing at his stuff that's not even funny. You know, when you're in that stage, you do that. Everything, oh, it's just so, he's so dreamy. <laughs> you know. And you're spending that time together. You're loving every moment that there is about it. And you can tell they are literally so into each other. They do not, could not care less about what anybody else in the room thinks. He loves her. She loves him. And the rest of the world can just go jump off a cliff. They don't care. They're there and nobody else is even around them. They're just so absorbed into this little bubble of them. And then over on the other side of of Dawn, I see this elderly couple that are probably in their 70s very attractive, sharp-looking gentleman, every hair in place, beautiful older lady, just gorgeous white hair, just fixed up to the nines, and both of them sitting there smiling at each other, 
but not talking. And I'm looking over here, and I'm seeing this, and Donna's going, okay, I'm here, 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 I'm right here. And so we started talking about it because we're, we're, we're always dealing with our relationship and how we can work at it and how we can be better at it and how I can be a better listener and all this kind of stuff. And I wasn't doing a good job that night because I had this scenario going back and forth. And, and they're over here with this whole thing going on, and you're wondering how far they're going to go. And then you've got this old couple over here. And I, I told her, I pointed it out. I said, you know, it's just it's kind of sad. This young couple over here, they're so into themselves and you know, haven't made it through the honeymoon stage yet. You know, you know when you, you, you know when you've made it through the honeymoon stage, when the thing that attracted you to him all of a sudden starts to repulse you. Oh, Pastor Michael, he's just so spontaneous. And in three years, they're sitting in my office going, he never plans anything. <laughs> and I'm going, honey, that's the, that's the other side of the same coin, sweetheart. It just depends on how you're looking at it. It's in your perspective, whether it's a blessing or a curse. Isn't that how how it works? You make it through the honeymoon of any kind of a relationship. I mean, uh, 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 where you're working, you go through a honeymoon stage. Where you're uh, uh, friends, you have kind of a honeymoon where you're sort of infatuated with folks. And then you start to see the warts and the foibles. And somewhere in there, you start to make the decision, no, 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 I love this person more than this thing that aggravates me. This thing that frustrates me. And I said to Dawn, you know, it's so sad because they're so consumed with themselves. And you look over here and you see this old couple and it's just like they don't have anything to talk about. And she said, no, no, I don't think it's sad at all. She said, I think they have been together for so long that they share a level of intimacy where they're communicating without even talking. I said, okay, now you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to translate that for me. (laughs) And she said, no, no, really. I think, she said, that's what I look forward to when we've had 50 years together. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, it's already working. She can look at me and I feel like Superman. And then she has another look at me and I don't feel anywhere near Superman. And I'm like going, oh my gosh, this stuff really works. And it's like nonverbal communication because there's been a level of intimacy that's shared. There's been a vulnerability. There's been an opening up. I can tell when there's something blocking that. She can too. And normally we have to have some conversation to let it come out and let it get cleared up. But when it's amazing, oh my goodness, it's amazing. And this is what David was talking about in Psalm 139. He says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know yada, everything about me. You know yada, when I sit down or stand up, you know, yada, my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know, yada, everything that I do. You know, yada, what I'm going to say even before I say it. And literally he's saying, you know, you know, you know. And let me just tell you, this is not just one of those yada, yada, yada moments, but it's yada, It is an intimate sharing. It is an awareness on a level that nobody else understands because they can't describe it. They haven't been there. They haven't, as the Hebrew commentary said, mingled souls together. You know, you know, you know, the Lord says to David, and David speaks back to him. In other words, he's saying, God, you know how I feel. You know how I hurt. You know what I'm thinking. And this is an amazing proposition to know that God knows us, yada, on that kind of a level. 
Second point this morning, say this with me. God wants you to know him. Say it. God wants you to know him. Yada, there it is again. Literally, he invites us. He wants his soul to mingle with ours. But there's just something about it that if we're really truthful, that there's an awkwardness. There is sometimes, there is sometimes that fear of running from. Because we know that real intimacy always brings a vulnerability and vulnerability is usually accompanied with pain. Because if we're really truly honest, everybody in this room has at some point in time let down their guard and trusted someone too quickly and they've been bruised and hurt and betrayed and the relationship has been broken. And we, we gather the tendency from then on to withhold and to always keep the shields up and the guards around us. And, and we, we dig a moat around our house and we stock it with piranha. And we make sure we have a big dog that speaks Christianese and barks loud at other people. And we don't let them approach. We don't let them in because we are afraid of really true Intimacy because we've been hurt, we've been wounded, we've been bruised. Everybody in the room has. And let me just say to you, God help us. God comfort you if you've been the recipient of a mistrust of a spiritual leader. Let me just tell you that I stand before you right now as a representative of God of the Lord and I say, please forgive us. Because sometimes things happen that we don't even intend. You can offend people and not even know that it happened. Not even intend. Just in the ordinary course of events in making an attempt to lead. One of the hardest places sometimes is when you've been hurt in church is to find your way back in because something stands in the way of the relationship of openness between you and the Lord because you've been disappointed in a leader or another person, another Christian who you found out was hypocritical or was saying things about you or deliberately betrayed you. God, help us. Help us to lay that down and allow the Lord to heal us and let the hurts be removed and the wounds be healed. Somebody say amen. Intimacy means vulnerability. It means that I'm willing to just let it all be viewed and be open in a kind of soul nakedness. Number three, and I'm Finishing the message this morning. Number three, fans choose knowledge. Followers embrace intimacy. Say that with me, please. Fans choose knowledge. Followers embrace intimacy. It is just so much easier to teach you about. We, our our, our default setting is knowledge. We conduct Bible studies. We pass out message notes that you fill in the blanks. You, you attend, and if you get all of your workbook done and you've answered all your Purple Book questions and you're ready for Tuesday night with Pastor Michael in the Purple Book class, then you feel good about yourself. It's so easy to just sort of do all the things that are outward and external and really feel like that that means that I'm growing in my relationship with God. But you can do all the stuff on paper. You can, you can understand the Greek word. You can even regurgitate it back to somebody else and tell them the Hebrew word is yada. But knowing about something and actually experiencing it with someone are two entirely different things. 
We have two people on two different paths. We have Simon the Pharisee who is all about knowledge. Say it, teacher. Come on to my house. I want to make sure that I'm connected to the latest theological advancements. He's reading the, the leadership journals. He's, he's reading the blogs. He's writing them. He's, he's communicating with people. He's putting up really cool Facebook statuses on a regular basis out of the latest pharisaical ideas. Let me just tell you right now, Jesus is trying to penetrate and break into the heart of this Pharisee who has the facade, who wants to keep everything shallow. And it makes him extremely uncomfortable when this woman comes into his house and bows at the feet of Jesus and everybody there knows her past. And she is so overwhelmed with love and thanksgiving because she's seen the ministry of Jesus. She's heard this gospel that God loves her just like she is, but he loves her too much to leave her that way. And she's already sensed the working of the Holy Spirit in her life. And she's overwhelmed with gratitude and she weeps and she doesn't care what anybody else in the restaurant is thinking. She's in love with this Savior who is the Lamb of God that she knows will take away the sins of the world. And he is so taken with what she's done. Jesus looks at Simon and said, You know what, man? I came into your house and all the things that are typically done in a house of hospitality, you didn't do any of them. You didn't greet me and wash my feet, yet this woman, ever since she's been in here, has continued to wash my feet with her tears, tears of gratitude. You didn't kiss me even on the hand, and she's not even stopped since she's been here kissing my feet and wiping my feet with her hair. And you didn't provide any oil for my head to anoint my head to sit down with you at this meal with your friends. But she has not stopped kissing and rubbing this expensive ointment on my feet as an offering and a sacrifice. And I'm telling you, woman, your sins are forgiven. And you're forgiven much it's obvious because you have loved much. And the religious folks begin to ask the questions, how can this possibly be? Who is this man who thinks he can forgive sin? Simon is dumbfounded, realizing that Jesus has found a crack in the closet door of his heart and a little ray of light has penetrated into the dark spot of his heart. And as I close this message this morning, I just want to ask you a very very simple question. Do you realize that Jesus knows your thoughts? He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows what you're wrestling with this morning. He knows what you're thinking. I, I'm, I just want to say to you that right now that I'm thankful that there is a sense of privacy to this whole thought life because I have some sometimes that I don't want anybody else to know that I have. Y'all are looking at me kind of strange. Wow, I can't believe a pastor would say that. Yeah, I, I, I have things that I have to wrestle down. Somebody said to me one time, said, Pastor, I can't believe you said that. I said, if you thought that was bad, I'm so thankful you didn't know what I was thinking before I edited it. Can I be human with you for just a moment? Now, en enough of this put the preacher on a pedestal kind of nonsense. We're, we're humans, we're people, I'm a man. I, I wrestle with frustrations and irritation and aggravation and temptation and all of those same things that everybody else in the room does. And I have to do a 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down images, imaginations, and everything which exalts itself against the knowledge of God 
every high thing. And it says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I have to pull it down and make my thoughts obey. Sometimes in the most inopportune times, I do not know. I can be in personal prayer and it's just like a parade in my mind. I, I can be praying with Dawn. We can have a family devotion time that we enjoy together every now and then. And, and it's like I'm, I'm in prayer. I'm kneeling by my bed or I'm, everybody's gone and I'm at home and I'm having my personal devotional time and my coffee. And it's like, where does this stuff come from? I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to have an intimate time with the Lord and open my heart. And here comes the parade. da 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 and you, you know what a parade is? It's like all of these crazy, it's a freak show. It's like, how does this stream of consciousness mess connect together? Come on, you've been to a parade and you see all kinds of things. There are clowns and there are flamethrowers and there are people dressed in weird stuff and great big tall men walking on sticks and, and Santa's at the end. You know, if you know, we always get to the end. I believe a parade in your thinking is the enemy's attempt to try to distract you from that moment of intimacy with the Lord. I've been in prayer and I've remembered stuff I hadn't thought about in 25 years. I remember kids messing with me on the playground and one that I socked in the name of Jesus one day. And I said it that way. I'm about to whoop you in Jesus' name. Except I used a couple more words that I'm going to edit right now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're in a place of intimacy with the Lord, and then boom, here comes, and you're going, Where, what, what is this? And I believe the enemy is doing everything he can to distract you. I think right now in this moment, some of you have already sensed the presence of God moving and drawing you, and you're hearing God say he wants to know you. He wants to yada. He wants to intimately mingle his soul with yours. He wants to speak and comfort the brokenness. He, he, he wants you to be willing in a vulnerable way to open the closet door of that secret area of your life where there's a bruise that cannot even be described, where there are wounds that nobody else has ever looked upon. And Jesus says, you know what? It may be painful for a second, but I'll bring the comforter with me and I'll bring healing into that place and I'll pour the balm of Gilead on it into that wound, into that open sore of your heart. A bad decision, a bad choice. If Jesus can look at a prostitute and say, you've loved much because you've been forgiven much. Go, your sins are forgiven. I promise you, there's nothing in this person, anyone in this room has done so far. You're not so far gone. Do not listen to the parade and the lie of the enemy that says, no, 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 that's not you. He's not talking to you. He has no idea what you've done. That's a lying spirit of the enemy right now that's speaking to somebody in this room. And I'm telling you, the light of God is more powerful than any dark, demonic parade that's trying to cross your thinking in this moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My question for you as I close this service today is, will you let Jesus know you like this? I don't want this just to be an instructional moment where you leave out here knowing a Hebrew word that's been added to your Bible study knowledge toolbox. But I want to know, are you willing to let Jesus come in and intimately touch the hurting, broken areas of your heart? 
Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I want to ask you a simple question right now. Have you ever crossed that line of faith where you know for a fact that you've said, Jesus, come into my heart, save me, change my life? It begins with that very simple act, Jesus, save me. Three words. It's, it's an amazing concept that God loved you so much that he was willing to give his uniquely begotten son the most prized thing he let him shed his precious blood it was valuable no other blood like it in the universe and he did that for you he did that for me and it very simply is this we will all stand before God and we will be recalled into judgment for the life that we've lived and if we stand on our own merit none of us has a chance but if we stand in the place of and we have this substitute named Jesus who takes our place and he steps forward and he says, he's mine, she's mine because he's put his trust, she's put her trust in me as her savior, as his savior. Very simply, that's all you do. The law of God accuses every one of us and none of us are good enough. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He suffered for you in your place, in mine. If I got what I deserved this morning, I would be in hell right now. But I'm thankful for the mercy of God. And beyond that, for the grace of God, he's given me the gift of eternal life. It's not something I earn or deserve. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm finished. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you'd like to be included in this prayer right now, I'm not going to call you forward, not going to embarrass anybody, but if you'd just like to be included in the prayer, would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. You're saying, Pastor, I want a fresh start. There are several around the room. Yes, I see your hands. Thank you. Maybe some believers this morning, you've been walking with Jesus. You just feel the Lord saying, you know what? I got so much that you don't even... You can't even begin to understand how amazing the life is that I'm asking you to, to walk with me. I want you to know me in a greater way. Yeah, you're already my child, but kind of doing it at a distance. Some of you in the room this morning need a fresh start. You need to say, God, I want to jump in with both feet. I want to know you like I've never known you before. Mingle your soul with me, God. Yada, my heart. Anybody in this, the room this morning that's a believer and you just say and pray that prayer for me, Pastor, would you just slip your hand up? Yes, I see several. Thank you. Father, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you move and touch those who first raise their hands to say, I'm crossing the line of faith, Pastor. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Lord, we just acknowledge right now that we are sinful. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I turn from my past. I lay it down before you, and I thank you that you change me. Lord, that you do what no person can do, no formula, no special way of praying this, but Holy Spirit, you just get up in the middle of this, and you, you call me out of death into life, out of darkness and into light. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that right now for those who are putting their trust in Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, save me. Lord, for those who raised their hand at the end and said, I want to know more of the Lord, God, I just ask you right now for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon every one of these lives in this room. We want to know you, Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus, get up in the middle of the mundane routine of our lives. 
and speak to us. Open the word and make it a new book. Holy Ghost of God, just set us on fire with desire and passion for you like we've never had it before. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning.